please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Our uh, sermon scripture comes to us from John 15, verses 1 through 17. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Amen. The word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father God, we come to you before our, our sermon here, full of anticipation to hear from you. Lord, we thank you so much that you revealed yourself through your word. And we know that your written word and Holy Spirit work in concert with one another. So we pray, Lord, that your spirit would guide Pastor Andrew's heart and mind and speech as he teaches your truth. And Lord, likewise, that your spirit would renew our hearts and minds by enabling us to truly receive and absorb your word. So that, Lord, as a result, as your disciples, we would bear fruit through faithful obedience to you and by loving others. We thank you for this, Lord, and you give us time to learn. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's great to be together. Chance to open the word together. It's Palm Sunday, starting the beginning of Holy Week as it is known. Uh, lots of things to reflect on, and I hope that in the midst of a world full of distractions, including Michigan going to the Final Four, uh, in a world full of distractions, you can find some time this week to meditate and take in, just soak in the greatest story 
that ever could be, even greater than Loyola Chicago, huh? Uh, it's better than that. We uh, are going to continue our study through the upper room. You know, oftentimes you come to Palm Sunday and you're like, well, do you, do you go back and do you preach on the triumphal entry? And, you know, we've done that, uh, you know, number of years here at Christ Church and um, always could. There's always things to gain from that. But this year we're just going to stick with our, our, our passage because it's so rich with so many of the themes that... Uh, that Palm Sunday captures, and, and hopefully that you will connect with that this morning. Uh, this morning, we have the words of a king. You know, when Jesus came into Jerusalem on that final week, weekend, he was uh, celebrated as a king. Now, it wasn't a, a normal kind of king, and we're going to see that through the course of this story as well. But these are words of a king, and in particular, it's a king that is preparing for battle. If you look at the end, you know, we've taken this little time the last couple of weeks to sort of pull out some of the teaching of the Holy Spirit that was gathered in John 14, 15, and 16. And part of the reason why we wanted to do that is we want to understand the, the mission and the enablement that Jesus is talking about with his disciples. Because this, this passage that we're looking at, John 13 through 17, is all about the ongoing mission of the church. Uh, and, and very specifically, and we, we get that here in John 15 uh, in a very clear way. If you look at John 14 verse 31... Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded so that the world may know that I love the Father. And then he says, rise and let us go from here. Now, in normal Greek usage, uh, this phrase is saying, let us go meet the advancing armies. You know, there is a very clear sense here in which Jesus is the captain the king who is leading his troops into battle. And, and, and part of what we've been reckoning with is that the promises that are so rich and so full in John 13 to 17 aren't promises just so that we can be comforted and just so that we can be uh, calmed in the midst of our life. These are promises so that we can be equipped, that we can be, uh, be readied to fulfill the calling that Jesus is giving to us. Here's the way one writer puts it. He says, the gracious indwelling of God with his people. And we've been talking about that over the last three weeks with reference to the Holy Spirit, right? is not an invitation to settle down and forget the rest of the world, but rather it is a summons to mission for the Lord who dwells with the, for the Lord who dwells with his people is the one who goes before them in the pillar of fire and cloud. So think about that with regards to this passage in particular. Uh, this passage that is so lovely, and my guess is that if I were to take a poll, some of you would count John 15 as among your favorite passages in the Bible, right? Abide 
in me and I will abide in you. There's just such rich imagery. There's such rich promise in here. But one of the things that I am encouraging and I've been encouraged to think about is to make sure that we don't, you know, de, uh, deconnect it from its context. This is a passage about mission. It's a passage about going forward as God's people and very specifically meeting an advancing enemy. So you could say it's the ABCs of discipleship. Uh, you can probably pick out the words, right? A, abide. B, uh, bear fruit. C, as God's chosen. It's the ABCs of discipleship. But notice, I've changed it around a little bit this morning and made it the BACs of discipleship. And, and the reason for that is uh, just the, the, the logical priority of bearing fruit. Uh, what Jesus is talking about here in, in John 15 Primarily, the primary thrust of this is that God's people are to be fruit-bearing people. You, you see it all throughout. I am the true vine, my Father is a vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, verse 2, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. And then again in verse 4, abide in me. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides of, uh, in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. Uh, verse 5 again, uh, whoever abides in me, he it is that bears much fruit. Verse 8, bear fruit. Uh, verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And then verse 7, notice what he says, these things I command you so that you will love one another. The, the thrust of this passage for discipleship is that we are to be a fruit-bearing people, that our lives are to reflect that. Now, there are several things about that uh, that we begin to ask questions about. What, what does it mean to bear fruit? You know, what kind of fruit is he talking about? And this is where, you know, I struggle just in terms of how do I communicate that to, to you and to you and to you and to you and to you. You know, how, what does it mean for each of us to bear fruit? In, in one sense, we could say, all right, there is a generality here. It's given to us in the passage. We can say bearing fruit uh, equals loving one another, right? Uh, it's, it's very clear. This has been a theme throughout John 13, John 14, coming again now, John 15. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Uh, you see that very clearly in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. So, so bearing fruit involves love, love for one another, but Again, what does that mean? How does that look in each of our lives? Some of you have things that are coming to mind. 
I've had conversations even this morning, even this week. How do we love those that are in our family? How do we love those that maybe are struggling in our family? Part of our bearing fruit has to do with loving those that are closest to us, right? Loving those that are in our family, loving those that are struggling at this particular point in time, finding ways to come alongside of them. Now, what does that mean? It's not always so clear. You know, we recognize that sometimes love prunes, right? Some, Jesus even says that. Uh, there is a pruning aspect to love. We recognize that in the Father's relationship to us, and we apply that in our relationships with others. So, again, there's a general sense, love one another, but the specifics of it are things that we need to work out. We need to work out in our own hearts, in our own minds, equipped with the Holy Spirit. And as we heard last week, and we see again this week, equipped also with the Word, right? There is a commandment. These things I have said to you. Jesus is giving us a broader sort of field in which we can look for the truths on what it means to love one another. We see that in the church. We are called to love one another. We are part of the family of God that is gathered here. So we walk with people as they go through surgery, as they move, as they get married. We celebrate with them. There are all of these things as we do life with each other that have to do with loving one another. And this is part of our bearing fruit. But now here's where, you know, again, it, it starts to, it, it, you know, the word of God, you know, doesn't let us be comfortable. Bearing fruit also goes beyond those that we are closest to, right? It's easy to think about our families, not necessarily easy to love our families, but easy to think about our families, right? Uh, it's easy to think about. It's easy to think about those that we are in fellowship with uh, day by day, week by week. But think about these disciples. What characterized their love? Was it just their group? No. It, it's that their group went out. It's that their group engaged. It engaged those who were outside of their group. Uh, it shared the gospel. It engaged those who were their enemies in significant ways. Their love, their fruit bearing went outside of the immediate community into the world to the point that they laid down their very lives in order to bear the fruit that God had called them to bear. There is a challenge for us to think about our fruit bearing beyond what we are comfortable with, right? And to ask ourselves, are we bearing the kind of fruit that God would have us bear? One writer says about this passage, uh, God is not content with minimal effort. Minimal effectiveness. 
it's something to think about because I, 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 we, you know, I often come to say, okay, what is the least that I can do in order to meet the requirements of this command? And, and, you know, part of what the writer is responding to here is this idea, like, look at if you don't bear fruit, you're going to be cut off and thrown into the fire. I mean, there's, there's an imagery there. And this, you know, this image of the vine and the branches is rich in Israel's history. Uh, you read a little bit about it. You know, Jesus goes to the vineyard. We saw that in our uh, Declaration of Forgiveness. He uses that imagery. It's coming out of Isaiah 5. It's coming out of Psalm 80. Uh, so this is an image that Israel had as part of their history. And the problem that Israel had throughout their history was what? They were made, they were created, they were called in order that they might be a light to the nations. But they didn't want to be, right? They wanted to keep the blessings for themselves. Again, Jonah is such a perfect example of this. He was called to go to the Assyrians, to the Ninevites. And, and when the Assyrians and the Ninevites respond to the message of God, Jonah is petulant. Jonah is, is, is upset. He's like, I knew this is what was going to happen. You know, you are a God of mercy. I knew that you would save them, and we don't want that. And what Jesus is saying to his disciples here is, I am the true Israelite. You are called to be my disciples, and the mission is the same. You are to be a light to the Gentiles. And if you're not, then I come in and I discipline, I discipline the branches that are not bearing fruit. Now, there is a challenge here uh, because we can focus. Here, here's, I think, the real danger. All right? So everything that I've said is absolutely true. God is calling us to the bearing of fruit, Right? The danger is, is that we begin to evaluate our lives on the fruit that we bear. The danger is, is that we begin to get focused too much on the bearing of fruit. And this is where we have to see the rest of the passage and understand what Jesus is saying here as he leads us through this. Because if the bearing of fruit is the call... The abiding is the means, right? So how, this is with the distinction. The distinction is we are to bear fruit, but we can't produce fruit, all right? We are to bear fruit, but we can't produce fruit in the same way that a branch is to bear fruit, but they cannot produce it. That is the vine's task. Again, I'm quoting, the branches only bear or carry the weight of the fruit. So that is an absolute call and responsibility on our part, but we have to recognize that it's produced in a different way. It's produced by our abiding in the vine. Now, some of you realize the Greek word there is meno, to remain or to abide. Uh, the NIV, I think, uses remain as the translation. I like the word abide because I think that it gets uh, across this idea of, of active passivity. You know, remaining or abiding is not simply a state of rest. A again, if I can quote, remaining in him is not a state of rest, 
uh, and an adherence to what the disciples have already received in Jesus solely to conserve it. All right? So that would be one way that we could remain or abide. That would just be simply to say, okay, I'm over here, I'm resting, I'm, I'm taking in what you're giving me, and, and I'm, I'm sitting in it. That is not the kind of abiding that Jesus is talking about here. But rather, it is an adherence to him as the vital, the life-giving source of help and strength in order to bear fruit, right? So you, you see what kind of remaining or what kind of abiding is called for. It, it's a clinging to Jesus and an opening of the passageways so that the life-giving source that Jesus is can flow in and through us and so that we can bear the fruit that is being produced by the vine. That's the picture. And that's the call, you know, right? The call is to bear fruit, but we say, how? How are we going to do that? The call is to adhere, to remain, to abide in the vine. Francis Schaeffer, uh, who's a theologian, talks about this in the terms of active passivity, right? He says, we believe God's promises at this one moment in which we are. Consequently, in believing God's promises, we apply them. The present meaning of the work of Christ for the Christian for and in this moment. This is what it means to abide. If you can see that, everything changes. As we believe God for this moment, the Holy Spirit is not quenched. And through his agency, the risen and glorified Christ as the bridegroom of the bride, the vine brings forth his fruit through us at this moment. This is the practice of active passivity, and it's the only way a disciple can live. There is no other way to live than by abiding in him moment by moment, drinking in and through the promises of God that are our life-giving strength that will result in producing fruit that we are called to bear. So, okay, Vandermoss, nice. Uh, sort of following you, long quote, struggle with those. I, I get all that. You know, what, what exactly does this mean? What or what exactly does this mean? look like in our lives. Let me just see if I can give you a couple of examples. And let me start with our fears. All right. So we, we all have underlying fears that are in a very real sense motivators for how we live our lives. Uh, some of us uh, live with high degrees of anxiety. Uh, anxiety over the future, anxiety over money, anxiety over our health, anxiety over our children, all of those types of things. And they get in the way of loving people, right? Loving those close to us. If I'm overly anxious about my child, I am likely to tighten the guitar strings, right? Uh, at a moment of crisis, trying to control that situation uh, in order to, you know, keep my anxiety at bay. 
So how do we live in active passivity? We go to the promises that the word gives us. The promises that said, you know, the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ. You know, and if Christ has promised to be my God and the God of my children, I can live with less anxiety with regards to my child at this particular moment. That is going and applying the promise of God at that moment in my life, and it helps me move through that moment in my life. Now, is it going to help me five minutes down the road? Maybe. I mean, the Spirit continues with us and, and helps us, but the high likelihood is I'm going to have to remind myself again you know, a half an hour later or an hour later or the next day, I'm going to have to remind myself again of the promises of God. Or take, for instance, the issue of control. A lot of times control is connected with anxiety, but for many of us, we fear being out of control. A and so we, we tend to want to, uh, we want to control things. We want to control our lives. We want to control our career path and where we're going. And so we do all of these things that are going to help us move along our career path. But what does the Word say? The Word says, he who gains his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will gain it. And so we go and we apply that promise to the here and now, and we live that way. What about my neighbor, right, who does not attend church, is living outside of uh, the fellowship of the family of God? And, and I know that I'm called to, to bear fruit, to love them, to extend the gospel in that way. How do we apply the, the promises of God to that moment? Because, you know, I feel very inadequate with my ability to speak to them, and how am I going to be able to offer any type of defense for the gospel? You know, what about my own sin, my own life? How is that going to be authentic and true? Am I not going to be or hypocritical when I share the gospel with them? How do we think through all of these things? I'm sure the disciples face that. And what did Jesus say to them? He said, look it, you are going to be dragged before kings and rulers. And you are going to have to give a defense of the gospel. But you know what? You have the Holy Spirit. And I am going to give you the very words that you need to say in that moment. Now, do we think that God is going to abandon us at that time? But this is what it means to be actively passive, to abide, to remain in him. It's to say, Jesus, I am trusting you. And then to hook into the promises, you know, to allow them to shape us as we go forward. And I say this, look it, I, I say this for us as individuals, but I also say it for us as a church. You know, I recognize, and for those of you that read the Friday letter, I put out some of the things that the session has been praying through and working on and, and all of these things. You know, we've uh, launched a, a church plant. Uh, we're in the process of launching a church plant last week. Uh, we have mission things in front of us. We're thinking about how do we welcome folks that come. There's a lot of things that we think about. And, and there's a lot of fears. 
You know, there are issues of control. There are wondering, are we equipped for that? So as individuals, but also as a church, right, we're, we're called as a community to abide in Christ and, and to actively rest in him, to allow God to work through us as a community, as a body as well, in order that we as a body uh, would bear fruit collectively. Here's the last thing that I, I want to point you to. We've talked about bearing fruit. We've talked about abiding. Let's talk about the, the last, the foundation of it all. Uh, and, and that is the fact that you and I in Christ are friends of God. And, and incidentally, if you're here this morning, uh, or maybe let me put it this way, for those of you that are here this morning, that don't have God as your friend, there's an invitation here. Because this, this, is a, this is a sullied group of disciples, right? Peter denied, uh, Thomas doubted. You know, the, these, are, these are guys that are a lot like you and they're a lot like me. These are, are, are guys that represent the common people. And Jesus calls them Friends, you saw that, right, in verse 15, you are my friends, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you my friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. In, in verse 3, he, he tells them they are clean, uh, which is picking up again on some of the language that he had used in John 13. Remember, this is all one narrative and one story. Verse 9, he says, look it, as a father has loved me. And that's not a simple qualifier, right? The father loves his son all the way to the end. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. You see, there, there are such indicative truths. There are such powerful promises, statements being made about the relationship between Jesus and his disciples. So yes, he is calling them to be fruit bearers. He is commanding them to love one another. And he is saying, you're only going to do it as you abide in me. But he's saying, look it, here's my posture towards you. Here's my attitude towards you. You are my friend. As a father has loved me, so I have loved you. You are clean because of the work that I am going to do. He is the vine that produces the fruit. And the vine lives to give his life away. The vine lives in order to be cut back. In order that it might produce even more fruit year after year that we enjoy in our beverages and in our eating and all of these different things. He is that vine. He gave his life for these people. He went to a cross. He became sin in order that we might live. Now, ask yourself, friend of God, do you think he's going to abandon you? Do you think that 
He is not going to produce the fruit through you that would reflect to his Father's glory? Do you think that at that critical moment when you really need him, when you really need him, he's not going to be there? I love verse 16. You did not choose me. Isn't that the truth? Right? Sometimes we live under the illusion that we're in this relationship with God because we made a right choice. It's an illusion. You did not choose me, but I chose you. It's probably one of the most powerful things that we can apprehend in terms of our relationship with God. Because this is the foundation of all foundations. Not that I chose him, but that he chose me. It is something to live out of and a strength to be had there. One of my favorite adoption stories uh, involves this little guy, Michael. He was adopted by the Webster family. Um, he was about seven years old when he was adopted. And on the day of his adoption, uh, they stopped by a sporting goods store and they just got a basic Kelly Green sweatshirt and had their name, Webster, uh, sort of, you know, stuck on the front of that. And they brought it to him to, to leave. And as they were going to leave the residential care, he was going to be wearing this sweatshirt. Well, he wore that sweatshirt very proudly that day and the next day and the next day. And finally, after two weeks, mom said, you know, Michael, we, we really have to wash this sweatshirt. And so he took it off and waited for it to be washed and dry. And then he wore it the next day and the next day and the next day. Why? Because he knew that he was chosen. He knew that out of all of the kids in that residential care facility, the Websters chose him. And they gave him their name. And he never wanted to forget it. And he always wanted to live as a Webster. And you know, that is the invitation that we have here in this passage. To live as a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to be a little Christ. It means you wear his name. It means you have an identity. You belong. You did not chose, choose him, but he chose you. That you might go and that you might bear fruit. Abide in me. These are the A, B, C's of discipleship. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this word. It, it really does come and challenge us at some of our deepest core level. Lord, we, we ask that you would continue to help us to wrestle with it. Holy Spirit, we pray that you would take this word and, and plant it deep in us so that it would bear fruit. We recognize that we all have different contexts and each one of us is going to apply it just a little bit differently. Uh, but Lord, we pray that you would help us to see 
uh, your gracious invitation and enablement here in this word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.